Well, good morning. My name is Clara Moranville, and I'm the senior pastor here. And I am part of a, a team of group folks that went to Kenya in December, the day after Christmas. There were seven of us. And of the seven, uh, five of them are from our church, and two are from um, local churches here in San Antonio. I want to introduce the team, and as I say your names, please stand up. Reed Anderson, there he is, way back there, the Jesus guy. <laughs> Kathy Camp, there she is. Stay standing, just dip, dip. Haley Lockwood, Sean McClure, Nigel McKay, Alice Ware. Okay, why don't you look at these people, they look quite ordinary, ordinary don't they? Yes, very ordinary people. Okay, sit down. Thank you. Now, the seven of us are going to be sharing about the trip with the purpose of sharing how Dave Osborne, our missionary in Kenya, is doing and what the Holy Spirit is doing in Kisamu, and really to encourage you. Now, as a church, we've been in a series called Living in God's Design from the Book of Ephesians. And the last two weeks, we were on Chapter 6. And this morning, I just want to use the tail end of Chapter 6 um, of Paul's final words uh, to the church as an intro to um, and backdrop to what we're going to be sharing this morning. It's from Ephesians Chapter 6, verses 21 to 24. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing. And I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that we, he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love the Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Let's pray. Papa, we thank you for the privilege of being your people here on earth and being your people, Father, in heavenly places. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would have your way this morning in the things that we share and how it impacts our friends. We ask that you would be glorified, that your son Jesus would be glorified, that your church, Father, would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, for the last 10 years, our church has been supporting Dave Osborne and the Ministries of Family of Hope. And during the last decade, you know, many of us have read his newsletters, and he's come here probably three or five times to preach from the pulpit, but it's a completely different thing to actually go to where he was living and see what he's been doing and seeing what we've been praying about and supporting. And um, as many of you know, Family of Hope is targeting a very displaced, marginalized, um, hidden people group. Boys from 7 to 17 that live in the streets. The people of Kenya have lost total hope in these boys. As far as they're concerned, they are a lost cause. They will never be redeemed. They will be useless, and they're just basically waiting for them to die. Now, some of the boys are true orphans, but many of them have been abandoned, rejected, discarded by their families, and there's no hope of them ever being placed again in a home. But not for Dave, and not for the staff, not for us. 
So Dave is a man my age, single man, never has been married. He has two masters, a master of sin theology and a master in counseling. He's tall, lanky, really plain to look at. And his family of origin lives in the beautiful state of Colorado. And so he brings to Kenya the wealth of his education, his experience, his knowledge. And we really got to see what this man has done in these last 10 years with the power of the Holy Spirit. Particularly, I saw it in the staff. The staff consists of about six people. And um, all of them are Kenyans. All of them speak English. Several of them speak several languages. One in particular speaks five languages. And most of them have been led by Dave to Christ. A couple of them were Christians, but not doing too well kind of Christians. And so Dave, through his ministry and prayer and care for them and training and equipping, got them to a place where they knew their life counted. And they could make a difference in their nation. Now, the caliber of Dave's staff is very unique and very powerful, something I've never seen in all the Christian ministries that I've worked with and have visited and come alongside. I've never seen a staff that's worked quite this way. Now, granted, we were there for two weeks, so give it a rough time, and maybe I would have seen some humanity. But in reality, they are a very loving, caring people. And it's obvious that Dave has clearly invested significant time and energy and prayer in these people. Now, one of the staff members is a woman. Her name is called uh, Jacqueline, beautiful woman inside and out, and she's been their cook for six years. Prior to working for Dave, she was a glue dealer that sold glue to the boys in the streets. And Dave had been after her and after her for four years before she finally gave her life to Christ and gave up her business. And then he hired her, you be my cook for the boys that you once extorted. She's just one of the six members and just one of the stories of each of these people. So so the biggest takeaway for me was that I saw on that day as I walked through the alleys and went to see who these boys are that he ministers to, the biggest takeaway for me was, oh, my gosh. (laughs) You know, prior to doing that, we had spent a, a few days at the compound with the boys. And when you look at these boys, and I don't know, there'll be pictures of them. They are clean. They're fed. They look happy. They smile. Very respectful, fun, lively boys. And I just thought, this is awesome. But when I went to the streets, when we went to the streets, the alleys, I was jarred by what I saw. It was seeing light and darkness. And I couldn't really believe that our eight boys once lived like this and were like these boys that we saw on the streets. It was completely shocking and difficult for my mind to comprehend. Did our boys really come from here? Is this what they looked like when Dave rescued them from the street? It was unbelievable. We saw several boys sniffing glue, completely unaware of their surroundings, but those who were semi-not comatose saw Dave and immediately ran to him, even though they were dirty, smelly, and completely lost, because they recognized Dave as one who loved them. And he would smile, and he would say, so you're going to come with me today? Come stay with us? We can take care of you? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay, well. You have to give me the glue. And so Dave has learned over the years that there's two requirements. One, you not bring your glue with you. And two, you have to be sober. 
And so those were the two requirements. And so, you know, sometimes the boys are, ah, well, once I get done with this, you know, I'll come, you know. And, um, but they were not willing, the ones that, that day were not willing to give up um, their glue, their addiction, to go with us. Now, Dave then took us through the alley so that we could minister to the, the glue dealers um, and we could minister to the policemen that extorted the glue dealers. Now, one of the glue deal- dealers shared with us that not that long ago he had had a dream um, that his dead mom had come to him. And in the dream, she told him, stop selling glue. And so he decided, I need to stop. And so he stopped selling glue. Now, the policeman there in the compound, because they extort him for money, recognized that he's noticing he's not selling glue anymore. What's with that? And so they went to him and said, why aren't you selling glue to the boys anymore? And he said, well, I had this dream about my mom, and she told me stop selling glue. And the, the policeman said, whoa, if I had a dream from my dead mom telling me to stop selling glue, I would too. Totally understand. So not dreams about Jesus, not dreams about Dave, just dreams about your mom. <laughs> oh, it's too funny. So we got to pray for these glue dealers. And we got to pray for the policemen. We went into the, um, the trailer. They have a mobile home where their trailer's at the end of the alley where the boys are. And one of the boys actually who sniffed glue came into the trailer with us. No big deal. And so we're talking with the policeman. And one of the things that Dave does is he asks, so how are you doing? And he asks about their family by name. And just like, seriously. And then he says, hey, can my American friends pray for you? And they're like, yeah, sure. So we got an opportunity to pray for the policemen there. They were gracious, welcoming, and allowing us to do that. To Dave and to God, there is no Jew nor Gentile, rich man, slave man, free or male, insider or outsider. There's only people that he loves, people made in his image. And he does not want to be separated from them for eternity. They're just like us. So Dave really showed me, and this is what my big takeaway, although I have many of them, this is the one I'm going to share with you, is that to be kind and gracious to the lost, to the corrupt policemen, to the greedy glue dealers, or to a dirty 10-year-old boy who's high, is an easy thing with God's love flowing in us. Our enemy is not people. And prior to this trip, as I've said before, my justice monitor would have said, they are the enemy. But not to God and not to Dave. God loves them. You know, along the way, we get hurt by people we love. We get hurt by people and we begin to label them as our enemies. And and maybe you wouldn't use that word because, boy, that's a really harsh word for a Christian. But if you were to search your heart, you would know, yeah, that landlord, my parent, the contractor, my neighbor, yeah, I really hope they get their just desserts. And God is saying to us, it's not my way. If we or I live that way, We miss many opportunities to love the enemy, to love the greedy glue dealers and the extortionalist policemen in our lives. You know, Lord, I'm not that good at loving my enemy. 
Nothing in my experience has taught me how to do that. I've been taught to take charge, take control, set up boundaries, put up protective walls, but definitely not love my enemy. How do I do this, Lord? No, Lord, I do have models. I have you. You walked the streets and you loved your enemy. You walked all the way to the cross and you said, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. And now I have read missionaries' accounts and I've read Fox's Book of Martyrs and I've seen my friend Dave walk the streets and love his enemies. Read. Okay, um, I'm going to pull out my phone. I'm not ignoring you guys. Just help me with notes. Um, everyone can hear me good. Sometimes I talk too loud. Um, so anytime I'm sharing something, I usually like setting the stage, like giving you the premise. Uh, so I'm going to kind of, you know, uh, give you guys some background. Um, you know, I was actually pretty nervous about going to Kenya. I've never actually been out of the country before. Um, I've only been in like six other states, basically, other than Texas. Um, so I was pretty nervous going out. Uh, I was a little scared, to be honest. Um, you know, and then when I got there, I just we just saw amazing, amazing things happen, just incredible things. Um, and I, I heard over and over our team saying, "Man, we really see God here. You know, we really see God working." Um, and, you know, I heard that over and over, uh, and it kind of just made me think, uh, you know, more importantly than us seeing God work through everyone, uh, he sees us. Uh, he sees the hurt, the broken, the lost, and he sees all the darkness over there, and here for that, for that matter. Um, you know, uh, there was one day that we went out and we were handing out the dresses that um, some of the people in the congregation here actually made by hand. Um, and so we set up at a school. Uh, we drove a little ways and we were passing out all these dresses. And we were concerned because we were like, wow, there's only like 30 people here right now. <laughs> How are we going to hand out all these dresses? And so a group of us, we actually gathered up and we went out to this uh, small like desolate village, basically. It was kind of like in the dark recesses of the immediate area. And a small team of us went, uh, and I actually paired up with Clara. And we start walking, and we just have a ton of dresses in hand, and we're like, okay, we're going to see what we can do. We're just going to go and try and find some people. And uh, I just also want to say I cleared this with her. She she gave me permission to share this part, not to throw her under the bus or anything, but... Uh, so we're walking to these villages, and she, she's just on a mission. She's like, I, I am trudging through all this. I'm going to pass out every last one of these dresses. We get to, we get to like, uh, this little lot. There's probably like two buildings. They're adobe buildings. They're made of mud, right? Um, and it's a Muslim man, and he must have four or five wives. And we start passing out all the dresses. That was Clara's mission. She's like, I've got to get rid of all these dresses. 
And she was ready to go. After she handed out, she was like, okay, we're going to grab a picture. going to, you know, say, awesome. And then we're going to book, try and get out the, the rest of these dresses. And I was like, you know, we got to give them the gospel. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that what we're here for? <laughs> I, I was more concerned of passing out the, you know, the gospel of John rather than the dresses. So it was a good thing that we were together because we probably would have done one or the other if it was just one of us. But, uh, you know... I was thinking of, you know, God sees those people in that dark, you know, and kind of like tucked away in the back of the village. Uh, you know, they probably haven't ever had any guests, I would imagine. I mean, because it was kind of like out in the middle of nowhere. So I was like, you know, that, that just kind of like impressed on my heart. It's like, you know, God sees them. You know, and obviously, logistically, we couldn't have reached everyone in that in that village. But just it kind of like renewed that idea in me that God sees them. Um, and, you know, I want, I want to share a little bit about uh, the boys. Um, they just took a liking to me, like, immediately. I, I think part of it was because of the hair. Uh, they don't have hair over there, really. <laughs> and so it was kind of like, like this rare occurrence. They're like, they, they even asked me uh, on three different occasions, but four boys total, they all asked me, are you in the pictures? And I was like, what pictures? They said, you know, the ones that play on the screen. They're talking about the movies. They thought I was a movie star because of my hair or something. I don't know. But, uh, you know, there's one, one boy there. His name is Jesse. He really connected with me like that. The first night that we were introducing ourselves, he just connected with me. And the first thing he told me is, hey, I want your hair. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, I, w- I want to share, you know, uh, a- after our time spending with the boys, uh, the night before we left, Jesse says, hey, Reed, can I, can I ask you a question later when you're free? I said, yeah, of course. And so I go, I, I, we were eating dinner or something, came back out about 30 minutes, and then I pulled him aside. I said, yeah, what, what did you want to ask me? And it really broke my heart when because he, he almost seemed embarrassed. He said, I would really like to have a picture with you before you leave so I can remember you. And I got to hear his story about where he'd come from, and it was just heart-wrenching to know him being his age, what he had to go through, and his own family was deceitful and lied to him, and that's, that's just what he was used to. And it was really heartbreaking to hear him just, oh, can I have a picture with you? Because he seemed really embarrassed because he was whispering it and everything. He just, it, he just, I guess, thought I would be, like, defensive about it or something. So that, that really broke my heart that, you know, uh, he had to feel that way, that uh, maybe because of his past, uh, that's what caused him to feel like that. Um, so that was pretty hard. Um, but, I mean, it just kept reiterating that idea in my mind that, you know, God sees those who are lost. He sees those are, who are broken uh, and just how much that we need Jesus. Um, so that's all I got. I don't know who's next. I think. Sure, really? Reads the prepared one. I don't have anything on my phone. So here we go. (laughs) Um, So uh, 
one story I wanted to share was uh, when, uh, one of the uh, prayer experiences I had there. We did a lot of prayer to the point where, like, you don't think you could get tired from praying for people, but it can happen. <laughs> it's great, though, because once you start again, then God, like, you know, you're filled with energy and you're ready. And then afterwards, you're like, wow, you know. <laughs> um, but uh, it was actually whenever we were handing out the dresses and... Um, so Reed and Clara went off, and me and uh, Dave and Henry, our driver and interpreter, stayed behind at the van. And so, because we saw there were a couple girls there by the side of the road, and so we gave it to them. And then, so we were just, you know, uh, getting, you know, getting the dresses. And I was kind of like in the van. It was like an assembly line thing. I would pick a dress, like I think this will fit, and then they check to see if it fits. And then we, you know, pray for the girl, whatever. And uh, <laughs> I was, like, sorting some of the dresses, and I looked back, and there's, like, 30 people by the van. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, and it just all these girls and even their parents, and it was really cool. And so, you know, I was just kind of being like a machine, you know, just like, okay, here's another dress. Woo. And uh, so I was just doing that. And then Dave had asked me if I could help uh, – pray for some of the ladies with him, you know, uh, to see if I, they wanted me to, like, lay hands on them, because it was just more appropriate that way, and so I thought, oh, yeah, sure, and uh, one of the ladies we prayed for, she was an older lady, and she had been, um, you know, helping getting the girls in line, and, you know, all that stuff, she's helping us out, and uh, she ha- she was having trouble with her knees, and you could see visibly that uh, she had a bit of a limp, it was kind of hard for her to walk, Um. And so, you know, we were going to pray for her knees. And so I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, you know, we're praying for her and just praying for a while and asking her how she feels and all that. And then all of a sudden she starts crying. And uh, we didn't really, I was like, what's what's happening, you know? And all of a sudden she starts walking around and it's like nothing had happened. And I've heard of that kind of thing, but I'd never experienced that personally where I'd seen someone be uh, physically healed. And on that trip, we saw a lot of that. We also saw a lot of inner healing, like for past hurts and things like that. Just really incredible. And it's funny because I was thinking, man, this is so easy. <laughs> and, you know, like Clara had us, excuse me, Clara had us stand up and look like ordinary people, right? Except maybe Reed, you know, with his hair. But, but the point is, yeah, I, I don't ever, I didn't go there thinking like, oh, yeah, here we go. We're going to pray for healing and people's, you know, we'll be praying for, you know, like healing with the boys as far as like, you know, their past, everything else. And But it was just, it was amazing because every time I went to pray for someone, I had no idea what I was going to say, <laughs> like now, <laughs> uh, you know, and it's amazing how God just pulls through. And I'm not, I'm not like a super spiritual guru, you know. I have been in leadership uh, with um, ministry before, like at my college and things like that. And, it, you know, sometimes I think because of that, people see me as like, oh, well, she's, she's good for prayer and stuff like that. Go to her or whatever. And, you know, I mean, it's nice that God's able to use me in that capacity, but at the same time, it's kind of disheartening because I'm thinking, well, why, why is anyone else different? 
And then I realized that I'm I'm that way too. <laughs> I went to Kenya. I was like, why is this different for me? This, sh- this shouldn't be a big big deal. And um, yeah, it was interesting because on that trip, God was showing me that He is a big God, and that's pretty obvious, right? <laughs> um, but God's very patient with me, and He knows He has to repeat things a lot. And uh, I, I, you know, I don't see myself. As a person who's like, you know, oh, it's all about me, you know, because and whenever I, I pray to God, I'm like, God, just tell me what I need to do, you know, because I want to just do his will. You know, I'm so concerned about that. You know, uh, I just really want to make sure that I'm doing what he wants me to do. And so I get fixated on that. I'm like, ah, oh, what do you want me to do? And then, you know, I feel like I don't have an obvious answer and then I'm going to screw everything up. And it was funny because he was saying, Haley, it's not about you. I was like, oh, <laughs> I didn't think I was making it about me. I thought I was making it about what God wanted to do. But I was making it about me because I was saying, what do I do? What do I do? And God said, stop and listen. And I don't think you need to go to Kenya to have experiences where you get to pray for people and see a change in their lives, whatever that may be. You don't have to go across seas to... um, to be that light in people's lives. And not that, you know, we haven't been that way. I'm sure y'all, I know y'all are all nice people. <laughs> but it really helped me realize that it's not about me. And I don't have to worry about being bold or saying the right things or being prepared because that's his job. His, he's the one who saves and I follow. And so I wanted to encourage everybody that, you know, I don't, I mean, it's not about, you know, Claire or Randy being like the spiritual end all. It's not, that's not what it is. It's just that we're God's children and he calls us to follow him. And so, I don't know, I, we're going to be, you know, offering prayer afterwards like we usually do. And I feel like if there's anyone out there who has said, oh, no, that's not me. I don't do that. Mm. Or I don't know how to do that, or I don't know what I'm doing, you know, then I'd encourage you to come up and get prayer about that because, once again, it's not about us and what we can do. So, anyway. Well, I just want to say thank you to all those people that gave to us, who gave financially for us to go. Yes. Without you, it would have been impossible. Um, so you're you're sharing in the fruits of this, and it's kind of like, you know, when you have a, a out in a, a lake that's that's calm, and you throw a rock into it, how it ripples out, and uh, you know, it's gonna that's what's happened. And I, right before the trip began, I had a dream, and it was just a it was a, a sign. It was a, just a, a sign I saw, and the sign said "impact," and uh, white letters on a black background. And we definitely, God did have an impact, and that impact is going to be, you know, that ripple effect is is continuing even now as we speak. Uh, so, uh, when what is God sets in motion, it, it continues for some time. So um just want to th- say thank you again for the, for your for your giving and um also um I'm just not the kind of person that likes to rough it 
I don't like to. Uh, I mean, my my wife and my sons went and my daughters went to uh, Costa Rica on a mission trip. And I say, God bless you, you know, but that is not for me. And because of the, the tales that they having to take cold showers and stuff like that. And I just I'm not into that. I'm just that is not me. So when God called me to this, it had it was God, believe you me. Uh, and there was some privation on this trip. I will I, I will tell you that. And I was taking cold showers and I was looking forward to them, too, <laughs> because it was so hot. <laughs> and, you know, trying to sleep in a house that's mostly made of concrete and there's no, you know, there's no air conditioning. And uh, the, that was that was rough. But. God uh, was there anyway. Anyhow, um, I just want to elaborate on a few things that that happened. Um, uh, We went to a couple of church. Well, we had several services, but when we went to this church service, it was New Year's Eve. It's a tent service, and I mean out in the boonies. I mean out where you wouldn't expect people to be living at all. They have a, a, a service set up. And um, then we were the team was introduced, and um, people were asked to come forward for prayer. And it was just a mass of humanity in front of me. And I'm like, uh, okay, and the pastor's not really giving me any clear idea what's going on here. And basically, he's saying, get out there and sick them, you know. It's just uh, so. And there's a language barrier to deal with too. And um, the first person Sean and I prayed for, a little girl, had stomach pains, and uh, she just went out under the power of God. I've never had anyone do that in my life. And then uh, there was this lady that, that I remember, she was having ulcers. She's had ulcers for 25 years and severe pain. Uh, and I laid my hands on her, and that quick, it was gone. And then another lady who was... Having a, oh the other thing that that's so rampant in that area is uh, mosquito-borne illnesses, malaria, um, uh, typhoid, y- yellow fever, you know all that you know because people out there they don't even know what bug repellent is. They 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 have windows but no glass. There's no no screens, you know. So you know and they don't even have you know mosquito nets. You know it's just like. So the, the, that illnesses are just everywhere. And this lady had, uh, uh, she had uh, typhoid fever. She was having typhoid fever. Laid hands on her, and it was gone like that. Uh, so we saw, you know, incredible stuff happening right and left all the time. There was another lady that we prayed for who had been in a motorcycle accident, and she was, had a, her leg was, her knee was bandaged. She was in a lot of pain. And uh, Claire and I laid hands on her, and it, it was gone. You should see the look in her face. You know, it was like the pain is gone. So I mean, God was there. And then we went out on street ministry. It was it was the we were having we were hosting the presence of God because there was three occasions where uh, people would kneel kneel on the street. Just, we didn't ask them to kneel. They knelt 
because they felt the power of God in our in this physical form here, and um, it's it's it was powerful. Uh, there was this one guy that was had a crazed look in his face as he was coming towards us. And he was violent in nature. And he tried to violently accost each one of the men with uh, this handshake, which was trying to lift us off our feet. And uh, that was one of the guys within two minutes of us being there. He was on his knees, and he was raising his hands. So... I mean, we don't know what we host even today. You know, when we walk into a store or wherever we go, we're hosting the presence of God, whether you realize it or not. You don't even have to, sometimes you don't even have to say anything because the power of God is in our physical form. It's, 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 it's in us. So I just want to encourage you all. You know, if you're thinking about missions, do it. It it will just expand your horizons. So, yeah. Okay, who's next? Hi, how's everybody doing? Good. Um, My name is Sean. And... um, Yesterday we met, and uh, the team from Kenya met, and we kind of went over um, the talking points that, uh, you know, we felt like we were going to share. And, uh, and Clara kind of pushed me towards the, uh, the subject I'm going to be sharing today, which is uh, particularly painful. Um, it's actually something that I have tried not to think about, just because it still hurts. So I brought some tissues up here, <laughs> and I'm going to talk about it anyway. And uh, I, uh, I don't know, yet yesterday I, uh, you know, I was thinking, about, oh, what am I going to say, what am I going to say? And uh, every time I thought about what I was going to say, I started crying. And so I didn't really write anything down, and, you know, I didn't come up here prepared, but uh, I'm going to give it my best shot. And um, I want to just kind of take you where we started um, on our uh, mission in the street whenever we hit the streets of Kisumu. And um, basically uh, went to these children and young men, and uh, this is where Dave finds the kids that uh, are at his compound. And this is where I'll start. Um, I guess probably 15, 20 minutes into it, into the uh, street mission. Um, we, Dave takes us down this alley. It's, uh, I don't know, let me see if I can paint a picture for you. It's, it's basically a whole bunch of shops, just random shops. Um, Glue dealers, um, shoe repair places, um, tailors, all kinds of folks. I mean, it's just shop after shop after shop, and all these shops are just lined with uh, with tin sheets, um, and they're not like nice tin sheets. They're basically the tin sheets that p- 
people throw away. That's what these folks were using for walls. Um, and so a lot of them had holes in them. They were jagged, and uh, and it was a it was a very dark place. Um, the streets were all dirt, and it was it was smelly. It was a not a place you'd want to go. Um, but that's where we went. The the first young man we saw, I don't know, I'd say he's probably in his late teens, early 20s, maybe mid-20s. I don't know, it's really hard to tell. Uh, Dave had known this young man for years. Um, well, I guess probably 10 years he said he'd, he'd been praying for him. So he's probably in his mid to late 20s, actually. Because he was too old to be a part of uh, Dave's uh, compound, so um, we see this young man, and he is just (laughs) destroyed, shaken like a leaf. He had uh, been sniffing glue for so long that his that his brain was just destroyed, and his whole body just was shaken. Couldn't stop. And so, uh, you know, we did what we uh, what what we were sent there to do. We put our hands on him and we prayed for him. And uh, I just remember the sound of it. Um, he was leaned up on the uh, on the metal walls. I told you everything was lined with uh, those metal sheets, and he was just shaking. And you could hear the metal just clanging, just clanging around. And uh, man, st- still in my brain, like a picture, but. Uh, That's what um that's where Jesus wanted us to be. That's that's where he took us. The dark places. The smelly places, the places nobody wants to go. And uh that's what we did. Uh, not long after that, I saw, uh, I don't know, we, we walked a little further. We got out of that little alleyway. And uh, we prayed for so many people. We just put our hands on them and we prayed. It was incredible. I've never, I've never seen how easy it is. I've never known how easy it is. You'd see somebody. Sometimes I I didn't even ask for permission. I just go up to him, put my hands on him, start praying. <laughs> um, I saw a, I saw two young men just passed out on the street. I mean, just out cold, and the whole group was was around them, praying for other boys, 
there was a lot going on around these two two young men. And they were oblivious. They were they were out of it. Sorry, it's still it's like a a picture. So I see him. Just wasted. The life. Just wasted. So what do you do? What do you do? You put your hands on them and you pray for them and you love them. Because that's what God would do. God, I just remember them just laying there, just knocked out. I mean, mouth agape, teeth rotten out. Clothes and tatters. Shoes just barely hanging on by a thread. That's what uh that's what this mission was for. And that's where you guys helped get us. And I would also like to thank you for all of your support, your prayer. This lady here came up to me today and she said, Sean, I was praying for you while you were in Kenya. And uh, and that's awesome, you know. Um, you know, the financial assistance was just amazing. This is what uh, this is what God wants us to do, folks. He wants us to go to these dark places, these smelly places, these hell holes. He wants us to put our hands on these folks and pray for them, heal them, bring them back to God. And this is what your support helps others do. If you don't, if if you don't feel like you can do that, and by God, there's there's something you can do. You know, there's somebody else that that will go there, and all you have to do is support them, and you're. Just as much a part of that mission as they are. But uh, sorry for <laughs> for uh, all the crying and boo-hooing. Uh, who's next? Jumbo. Jumbo means hello in Swahili. Minga uh, Rafiki. Many friends. Jumbo. <laughs> anyway, yesterday, I know we're short on time, so I'm just going to do a quick read through. Yesterday, I heard a song that I'd never heard before, and it had a, a lyric in there. Tell the world of the treasure you found. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I came back from Kenya a lot richer than I left here. And the treasure I found, I saw it modeled in Dave's life. I saw it among our team. I saw it in the lives of the boys and the staff. 
And I saw in the faces of those that we ministered to and we prayed for. I felt that in the Sunday worship outside under the tent. (laughs) But where I felt it most and where it had the hardest impact was like Sean. It was in the streets of Kasumo. Tell the world of the treasure you found. And the treasure I found in Kenya was a deeper value of life. In Psalm 139, David David was overwhelmed with God's love. He was lost in God's love. And he said, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. Of course you would be in heaven. And yet... (laughs) If I make my bed in the depths of hell, you are there as well. If I were to settle on the far side of the sea, get away as far as I could possibly go. Even there, your hand will guide me and you'll hold me up. And when we walked in the streets there in Kasumu, I was overwhelmed with God's love in the midst of so many shattered lives. And it was as if the people... We're crying, Psalm 139. (laughs) Surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me. And all the while, God's love was saying, darkness is not dark to me. You know, even the night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to me. Can you understand my love for you? I created you. I knit you together in your mother's womb. I made you in my image. I love you. You are wonderfully and fearfully made. And my love for you knows no bounds. (laughs) This morning we celebrated communion. We celebrated God's love. We celebrated the value of life. But you know, communion isn't just a Sunday thing by its mere name. It's an invitation that God extends to us every single day. Will you partner with Holy Spirit to bring my kingdom? To bring my love to those around you? You don't have to do it in Kenya. You can do it here in San Antonio, right where you live. Because the same spirit that spoke light into darkness on Genesis 1, he resides in you and he resides in me. And he wants to be released. (laughs) And you know what? While we were in Kenya, our team devotion centered on Colossians 3. And the chapter deals with Paul encouraging the church. And one of the verses I want to leave with you is, regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. (laughs) And I want you to know people are hungry to know that they are loved and that their life matters. Well, my message won't be long because it's all been said. <laughs> um, I would like to to emphasize this point, and that is um, there is light in Kisumu. And that light began to shine very, very brightly through Brother Dave. 
And he has offended churches and every everyone that can be offended in all of Kenya is offended by Brother Dave. And they're offended because he's a light shining in the dark places. And people feel that conviction even when he's not saying anything or doing anything. His light shines in the dark places and people shy away from it. We We didn't go to discover Brother Dave, but we went and we discovered Brother Dave. And we learned that Dave doesn't have an enemy. There's not one person that could do anything to Dave that he wouldn't forgive and love. And over and over again, um, we could see that impact of his stamp of love. And one of the things I, I clicked on in as I, I processed through the compound that they live in, um, they are surrounded by fences all the way around, and there's a doorkeeper. And the gatekeeper is there 24 hours a day. There's uh, two different people serving the gatekeeping role. And their role is the watchman. And they watch over that place by night and by day. And they don't watch to keep people out. They watch to open the door for that boy that finally decides, I want to come in. There's always someone at the door. And the door opens. And whether the man stole from him, said bad things about him, did evil, he was welcome. Welcome again. And Dave's heart is that. And he's true and he's honest. And everywhere he goes, he reflects God's love. Like we said on the streets, he would stop and pray for people. He would direct us. He would tell the story of someone. And he would tell of his love for them. So Brother Dave is real. His light is shining and is such a, a attribute to all of us to be to know that kind of um, experience and to experience that kind of love. Um, when we look at Arkisimo, um, I'll never forget the, the spirit that seemed to just float among us, just following God, go with what, go with us. I mean, none of us felt like uh, we were spiritual giants in any way, shape, or form. And yet, we were doing miracle signs and wonders wherever we went. And one of the places was, um, like we talked about the church. The church um, invited us to come on New Year's Eve. That was the first night that we arose, uh, We drove eight or ten hours across from uh, Nairobi to get to Kisumu and then to attend this church service that was going all night long. And you're bouncing around, and all of a sudden they say, okay, we're going to have prayer, and Alice and your team, would you please come forward and heal the sick and raise the dead, basically. That's all they wanted us to do. So we did. <laughs> uh, it was an amazing thing. The very next morning we were up, we go to the church again, <laughs> they did it again. And at the end of the service they divided us up in teams and sent us all over, and they said, okay, now heal everybody. And they got healed. <laughs> That's the humor of it. Um, a couple of days later, a group of the church came by um, because I was going to do, do a seminar with them. And I did a seminar with them uh, about shame. And it was Dave's idea. Shame is such a major issue in Kenya. He said, uh, basically, you know, the people have heard all their lives, shame on you. And he said, I'd like to have the message of shame off you. And I gave him that shame that shame off you, and we added a few little hand jives. And it's like, shame off you. Don't carry that. And at the end of that time, everybody was <laughs> shaking off their shame. And we had uh, a request for prayer. And what happened? 
miracles, signs, and wonders. Because people were so touched by the presence and the power of God and the truth that set them free. And we went um, to another place when we were going into the... uh, into the bush over to find the villages to hand out these dresses. We arrived early in the, well, we were supposed to be there at 8 o'clock in the morning, which we didn't know. And we got there about 10.30. And uh, the people at the school said, well, where were you? Uh, everybody showed up at 8. And Dave said, what? You know, whenever you have an announcement, you say what time it is, people come two hours late. So we planned to be here at 10. So we were there. The people were gone. And that's when the van took off and took some of the things. And we started to set up in the school doing other things. And we're wondering, how how is anybody going to show up here? And I see this. Um, the guy says, we're going to ring the bell and we're going to send runners out into the village to bring people back. So the next thing I know, we're setting up these dresses, and I hear this clanging, and I look up in this tree, and there's an old wheel from a car up in the tree, nailed up there, and somebody took a big bar and started clanging the bell. There's a school bell. (laughs) And from bushes all around, we're in this big open area, big soccer field, you know, about seven classrooms serving 700 children in a year, seven classrooms. And all of a sudden, from these bushes, from everywhere, people started showing up. And then there's lines of people. And we're giving dresses one or two at a time. And then there's hundreds of people standing in the line for the dresses. And it's like, oh, now we have to give out all the soccer things that have been donated to us, the soccer shot things. And uh, Clara gives all these T-shirts out and and the next thing I know, I'm supposed to be preaching about shame over here and I have to leave the dresses and I don't know who's going to take care of the dresses because we didn't have enough people to cover all of that. So all of this is happening. I'm preaching over here. I turn around and I look and the whole soccer field is filled with little boys with orange shirts and these vests and they're running back and forth across the field and there's people on the sides watching them and they're dressed little girls with dresses going everywhere and it looked like a a major fair a big circus and it was like a three ring circus it was so filled with kids laughing then and then there's Clara over here and she's got all the kids who who don't speak English doing put your right foot in put your right foot out and they're going (laughs) <laughs> we we ad lived and God had a, a wonderful time. It was amazing. The dresses, all 184, were delivered that day. 184 dresses, T-shirts everywhere, soccer balls were played with. Everything you could have dreamed of was there. So it was God's amazing journey. It was, we were just like tourists watching what He was doing. Um, we want to say thank you so much to the group that gave us those shirts and the soccer balls and all the ladies and the people that made dresses for us. It was uh, an amazing way to bless that country. They are really, really blessed. We are already thinking about going back again. And um, I have a, a deep place in my heart. Uh, as I taught that class that afternoon, um, the people said, we've never heard things like this before. We need to know this. You, you need to stay here and teach us more. And I said, well, look, you know, even this material really isn't my material. You know, this is Dr. Paul's material. I can't just, 
give that material away. And they said, no, you tell that man. You tell that man. We're dying. We want you to give us this material. You have to come back. And so with that in my heart, I really solicit your prayers as I approach Dr. Paul, who has used this as a, a means of his whole support system and spread it across the United States to allow us to take life skills as a legacy, his legacy, as a gift to Africa and to give it to Kenya and let that be the test, that you gift it to Kenya and let that become the legacy that you give to change all of Africa and bring them hope. So that's a, that's a journey. It's something in the future. It's something to be watching for, something to pray for. I uh, just pray that you'll join us, that those that will be sent to Africa this next time may be you. <laughs> and uh, if that's you, don't, don't balk at it. God can use even the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God bless you all. Um, can your team please come forward and kind of spread yourself out? Um, I think if you felt uh, something like just wanting to cry or just like, oh, my gosh, when Sean was sharing and he was sharing about um, the broken of his brokenness of his heart for the lost, um, you need to get prayed for it because the Father's going to go take you even deeper in that love. Not just <laughs> he's just going to take you deeper. He's like letting you know, this is you. This is what I'm doing in you. And uh, he will bless that. And uh, Kevin, I'd really like for you to come with Sean to pray for anyone that might come up for that. Because it's, a, it's, a, it's what he's doing. He is loving us so that we can love his lost and hurting world. Okay, and then others, as they were sharing, you said, oh, what she said, what he said, you know, something pulled on you. Then take that as a sign from God. Go to them and let them lay hands and impart what God has given to them and let them pray for you, okay? They do look ordinary, so they're not going to hurt you. They're nice people. And um, just come up and get prayed for it. Last thing, if you felt like, I want to go to Kenya, or I feel like I'm supposed to go to Hungary. Um, Dave, uh, Randy, would you come up? If you feel like you're supposed to go on a mission field, Hungary or Kenya, I want you to come to Dave, uh, Randy and um, let him pray that thing on you, and then he might have some questions for you. Sound good? Was that nice? Yeah. Beautiful. The Lord bless you and fill you with his love and grace. May you see how you fit in his big story. And we find places of darkness that when you come, you bring light. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you next week. And next week, uh, I'm preaching. That's right. Okay, just right. Bless you. Come up and get prayer.